learning about unity and about love and how unity comes through love. Uh, it, it's the one thing that the Bible tells us binds us all together. And we have a scripture that is kind of the foundational scripture in Colossians 3, verse 14. Uh, in the New Living Translation, it says this, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect unity. God is love. But his love is different than what we can do on our own. When, when we love, we tend to love with conditions. And God's love is unconditional. Uh, we have strings attached. We have expectations. Uh, but God, God will love us no matter what. We tend to love up and down when we're loving with the love that we as human beings can have. And that's dependent on how somebody else treats us or does for us in our lives. And, and as I was... I, continue to, to meditate on these scriptures and um, I was meditating on this, this scripture and realizing that it's this love that binds us together. The God kind of love has an attractional, a drawing type of effect on people. And the reason why is, is because that love is always looking out. That love isn't focused in. It's always flowing out towards those around it. God was so good not to just turn away when Adam sinned and said, okay, you guys had your chance, you blew it. Could he have done that? Yes. Absolutely. Would he have had a reason to do it? Sure. But he didn't because love doesn't ever turn away. All right? Love never fails. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, it says love never fails. It never gives up. It never gives in. And, and so God didn't give up on us and, and continues to look at every single one of us, not just us who have received Christ as our Lord, but every human being. God is intently aware of and caring about and wanting the best for, and yet until we come into his kingdom, we're really not going to be as affected by God as, as we could be and, and should be. And uh, as, as I was meditating on this and just thinking about how love looks out after other people and is aware. You know, we, we found out in the pre preceding verses that love is compassionate, it's kind, it's humble, it's gentle, it's patient, it's forgiving. Well, that's all towards someone else out there. It's not about us. It's about what we extend to others because love is active in our life. And this week, I, Debbie and I had, had an opportunity to go out to dinner and... Um, there were a lot of things that we, we wanted to discuss and, and uh, things on our hearts. And we sat down in the restaurant, and I'm just being reminded by God, you know, look around. Look around at all the people. So uh, we're looking around, and, and I'm just kind of, you know, when Stuart Winograd was here, he said, you know, go through life with your antennas up. And what he was saying is be aware of God wherever you go. And I'm trying to do that more than ever before. Be aware of God and be aware of what God wants to do. And so we're sitting, and I'm looking around, and, and all of a sudden our waitress comes up, and she's real bubbly and, and just a, a great servant and very caring and considerate. And uh, she asked what, what we wanted to drink, and I was prompted by the Lord to say to her, you know, we're Christians, we're going to pray over our meal. Is there anything we can pray for you for? Now, how, how, how difficult is that? I'm admitting I'm a Christian. I admit I pray. 
and how can we be a help to you? At that moment, <laughs> this girl gets this look on her face. Now, we're in a public place. I know she can't chew me out because she thinks I'm crazy because it wouldn't be good for business. And I didn't know why that look was there. And she turns away. And then she turns back and her eyes are filled with tears. And we didn't know what was going on. And she said, I can't believe you asked me that. Okay. She said, well, um, my family just had a situation that is very fresh. And I think her family was from Bulgaria. She said, um, my aunt died. She, she lives in Bulgaria. She's the twin sister of my dad. And we're Muslim. And because we're Muslim, we have to, we have to bury the body within a certain length of time. And so we couldn't get out there to see and be with the family through this. And she said, this morning, my dad, my mom, our family got together and we had a service. And it's just so tough. And she said, I wasn't going to come into work today, but I felt like I was supposed to come. And she says, I know why I came. Now, this is, this is a person that doesn't believe what I believe. And she said, yeah, I would love to have prayer. And so we said, we're going to pray for you right now. And we prayed. And it was amazing that there was a connection. She kept coming over to the table. Now, it wasn't because of us. It was because of God. It was because God showed his love for her through people that he could do through any of us. And, and that's where, you know, we're learning about this love. And, and most people's world, since we've gone through the pandemic, and, and just in general, most people's world is about this big. It's, it's all about us. And is there any of us that do not have struggles no. But as a Christian, I'm supposed to cast all my care on God, be willing to hear from God and do whatever God wants me to do. But that frees me up. We sang about God freeing us. That frees me up. That freedom isn't for me to indulge myself. It's for me to serve others with the love of God. And if I know that whatever I'm dealing with, whatever Debbie and I are dealing with, God has been given that, then I don't have to focus on it. I can start to look out at other people and say, God, who is it? How can I help? What do you want me to do? And as simple as that sentence is, I'm a Christian. We're going to pray over our meal, ask God to bless it. Is there anything we can pray for you for? I can tell you that young lady was impacted. And, and I, did she say the sinner's prayer? No. But that was a seed sown. And I don't say that to say, oh, look what I did. I say that to say this. What God has for us to do is monumental. But it's not rocket science. And every person we come across their path, there's an opportunity. And I will tell you, we don't do this every time we sit down. We, we try to be led by the Spirit of God when to do it. And... When God has prompted us, it's been amazing, the responses, because people are in need. And more and more people these days are in greater and greater need. And they are looking 
They are longing for somebody to care about them. And God does. And we're here to let them know that. And so I, I continue to pray for this young lady, believing that this is another seed sown and, and it may be watering seed that's already been sown, that, yes, she's been raised up in a Muslim household, but she's going to turn to the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And that's where, as, as we, we live this love, we can't, what love does Living without the love of God, it shrinks our world. We get to the place where pretty much all we're considering is ourselves. But when we begin to live in the love of God, that love starts to expand our world. Because when we love God, we're going to love others. We're going to love others in the body of Christ. But we're also going to love those people that are coming to the body of Christ, coming to salvation. And, and I just I can't explain to you how strongly God has impressed on me that the messages that, that we've been hearing are, are an exhortation, are, are an encouragement from God to us to see where, where are we kind of lining up with? Where are we tracking? Are we tracking with the way God wants us to, to live or do we have to make some adjustments? And I'm finding in my life, man, there are a lot of adjustments I need to make. But I also know that God's there to help me make it. Amen? Amen. So, we, we need to clothe ourselves with love, which binds us together. That's that drawing force. When love, God's love is in action, it draws people towards it. When, when you experience somebody loving you, really loving you the way God does, it's, it's got this attractional aspect to it. And it binds us together in perfect harmony. Um, that unity, that harmony is what the world is going to see and it's going to affirm that Jesus was sent by his father and is the son of God. And it's going to cause people to be drawn towards him. And that's, in these days, there are so many things that people are dealing with and what they need more than anything else is Jesus. This morning we're going to continue on and we've been looking at a variety of situations where Jesus was in and how he showed love to people and, and how love was not shown to people um, and when we love, we love the way God has for us to love. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 8, we, we briefly touched on this, but love covers a multitude of sin. It says, above all things. There's that phrase again, above all things. Above all things, put on love. Above all things, have fervent love. Intense love. You know, when you intensely love, you are completely devoted. You are... are focused, you are drawn to, and so fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And we, we learn that when it says it covers, it wraps around, it envelops, or it encases a multitude of sin. And what it does is it transforms that, that hurt, that injury, that irritation into something that is priceless and beautiful. And, and it's hard to imagine that until you experience it. But when you experience that, where we choose to love, we're, we're compassionate, we're merciful, we're humble, we're kind, we're patient, we're forgiving. All of a sudden, that which has injured or irritated us becomes something that we grow through. And we experience 
this transformational aspect in our lives to be able to help the people that actually injured us. That's got to be God. And it is. Uh, but it, this is something we can't do without God, and we don't have to. But we can surely try to do it without God like we do sometimes. We try and make things happen, and, and it's by the grace of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says, The love of God is shed abroad. It floods our hearts. We can't get this love any other way than from God or through God. We can't manufacture it. But God is freely and fully giving it if we'll be humble enough to realize we can't do it and we need to receive it from him. And he's always there offering us that love. When, when the situation occurs and somebody injures us, somebody hurts us, somebody sins against us, brothers and sisters in Christ, people in the world, we can't expect anything better from people in the world that don't know Jesus. We have a right to expect people in the body of Christ not to injure us, but realize that we're all human and we've injured other people. People have injured us. We have to show love to them because that's what we want shown to us. Don't we want people, when we've done something wrong, whether it's intentional or accidental, don't we want people to be merciful with us and compassionate with us and kind with us and humble, not coming off like, hey, what are you doing? You know better. That's not humility. Gentle and, and long-suffering and forgiving. The Bible says whatever we sow, we reap. And Jesus, when we looked at, at some of the uh, things we've looked at in the previous weeks, we saw that aspect of, of sowing and reaping. And uh, we looked in Luke chapter 6 where Jesus, uh, well, Luke chapter 6, Luke re records the Beatitudes in the beginning of chapter 6. And uh, in verse 37 and 38, it says this. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Given, it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. All right, so, so we see that this is the principle of sowing and reaping. What you sow is what you'll reap. But we're also seeing that when we sow these things, when, when, when we choose to be judgmental, we're going to be judged. Because if we don't judge, then we won't be judged. If we choose to be condemning. Now, the word condemn is an interesting word. But it means to pass judgment in a negative way, to sentence, to judge against. Um, and so we, we need to be aware of what's going on without passing sentence. If somebody's acting strange, we, we don't just ignore it. We're aware that's, there's something different going on there. But we don't say, well, these people are dangerous. These people are, are bad. These, every person that you and I see, you and I meet, they're made in the image of God. We should always remember that. Because God sees them and God loves them. And we should be loving them too. And not passing judgment and condemning them, sentencing them to some sort of punishment. Punishment may be, I, I don't want to be around you. Punishment may be, well, I'm going to talk about them. It's not anything we want, so we shouldn't be sowing that. But in this, this, uh, this part of Jesus' teaching... Um, he is in a situation where 
he begins to give a parable. And the parable is about a speck in a brother's eye versus a beam in our own eye. And, and the parable helps us understand that there's something that's operating in somebody else's life that is operating in our life in a bigger way. And we're not aware of it in our lives, but we're certainly aware of the little operation in somebody else's life. Now, you may say, I, I, that's hard for me to believe. I don't think it's operating in my life. Remember, we're all deceived. Okay, And one of the things about what Jesus taught just after these scriptures was the beam or the log in our eye, this massive issue that we've seen a little bit in somebody else's life is operating in our lives and we're not aware. We don't perceive it. And what happens is when we don't perceive we're not aware of something operating in our lives, then we're going to have to be really humble and available for somebody to speak into our lives something that we don't think is happening. And what would be the natural response if somebody came up to you and said, hey, brother, hey, sister, um, there's something going on in your life. I don't know about you. All I know is about me. My initial natural reaction is, who are you to tell me? I'm being honest. That's what my flesh wants to do. But I've come to learn, even as it's uncomfortable, I need to be open, not to everybody's input, because there are some people, they're just out there to rip people up. And that's because they're hurt. They're judging. They're condemning. But if somebody's coming in the love of God to share the truth with you, we need to be open to be receptive, humble enough to be receptive and say, okay, you know what, I trust you. And, and I wasn't aware of it. So if you're, you're, you're helping me, please help me be accountable to get this out of my life. And then the Bible says, before you try to remove the splinter or the speck in your brother's eye, remove the beam in your own eye or the log in your own eye. The big thing that's operating in our lives, we need help with because we aren't, we aren't seeing it. And so we've got to trust people that are loving, God-loving, and loving the body of Christ so that we can have that help to remove the things in our lives. None of us can do this alone. We want to, and the reason why we want to is we don't want everybody else to know the stuff that's going on in our lives. But I want you to look around today. Look at everybody in here. I know it takes a little bit of effort. Everybody's got stuff going on in their lives. Okay, everybody's got stuff going on in their lives. And none of us want anybody to know about what's going on in our lives. But God knows. We can't hide it from him. And God loves us and he wants to help us break free of those things. And if we're really walking in the love of God, we're not looking at somebody else in a judgmental, condemning light. We're looking at them to say, God, how do I help them? How do I help them get free? How can I stand with them? How can I pray for them? How can I encourage them? And, and that's really what we're here to do. We're here to come alongside other believers in Christ and help us all grow because every joint supplies. Every joint supplies. We're all in this together. But we need help. And so Jesus was saying, 
you know, once you get the help you need to remove the log in your eye, then go and help the one with the splinter. Now, that's going to help us understand what it's like for this person. They are not aware of it, most likely. And we have to come in a spirit of meekness and humility and love to be able to help them get free of whatever it is that's affecting their lives. And this is where when we walk in love, we're not going to be judgmental. We're not going to be condemning. We're going to speak truth in love, which when truth is spoken in love, it's the key to the lock to set us free. But if we're speaking truth just because we know a lot, just because we think we're better, that key doesn't fit that lock. And that's where when we see what God did for us, God didn't leave us alone in our sin. And, and Jesus came in humility. He could have come in different ways. Even coming into Jerusalem, he came riding on a donkey. Very humble. This is the Son of God. He came into the earth. He didn't come into a palace. He came into a manger. Everything God has shown us is how he interacts with us in love. Merciful, compassionate, humble, gentle, patient, forgiving. That is our God. And as our God has modeled for us, we need to walk in this too. Or we're not going to be able to fulfill what he has for us in these days. Now, this, this portion of scripture that, that was after this, the, the plank and the speck, saying that what you see operating in somebody else's life is operating in yours, it's not just that place. In Romans chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. And whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same thing. This, this, this is God's loving alarm to us, a wake-up call. That if we're, if we're seeing something in somebody else's life, the first step, the first action, the first thing we do, if we're aware of something operating negatively in somebody else's life, we need to take a look at our lives. That's the first term. We turn to God and ask God to help us see us. Because until we get the help we need, we can't really help another person. And that's where it's good because when we get the help we need, we realize we had to humble ourselves to receive the help we need and how resistant we might have been to somebody else helping us with this. Does that make sense? And how we can't do this alone. And we go to another person helping them understand, listen, I'm not, I'm not judging you. I'm not condemning you. But I want you to know I've struggled with this. God is helping me. We may not be completely free, but God is helping me. And we come alongside them to help them so that we can walk together into the freedom and the fullness of what God has for all of us. But that's going to require us to be willing to get input from our brothers and sisters. 
And it's much easier to get input from somebody who comes to us in a spirit of meekness and humility, a spirit of love, than somebody who's coming because they think they know better and they've done better. When, when we've been set free by God of an area and issue in our lives, we need to realize God's the only one that can set us free, and we come with that truth that God is the liberator. He's, he's the one that sets free. Whom the Son is set free is free indeed. And we're just walking alongside somebody else to help them experience the freedom that God has, keep them focused on God, which helps keep us focused on God. So that we're coming alongside people. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. And we also looked and learned from Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 7 where he had... Uh, he had been invited by Simon the Pharisee to come to dinner. And while he was at Simon's house, uh, Simon didn't do the appropriate things that should have happened. And a woman shows up who had had experience with Jesus, was set free from her past. And, and she starts to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and dry his feet with her hair and then anoint his feet with costly oil. And the Pharisee is really upset by this and, and judging Jesus and judging this woman and condemning Jesus and condemning this woman. And then Jesus realized this and he shares this, this parable. And the parable is about two people that owe a great debt to a king, or two people that owe debts. One is massive to a king and the king calls the, the first debtor in and says, you know, you need to pay or I'm going to throw you in jail. And the man says, have mercy on me. Uh, I'll, I'll pay it. And so the king has mercy on him, wipes out the debt, lets him go free. And this man goes immediately out and finds another person that owes him a very small amount. And this second debtor says to the first debtor who was set free, have mercy on me. The same words that the first one said to the king. And the, second, the first debtor says, no. I'm throwing you in jail. And then the king hears about this and comes back and says, you know, you should have done what I did to you. And Jesus says to the Pharisee after he tells all this, he says, you know, this woman, well, in verse 47 of chapter 7, it says this, I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. And she's, he's making this statement that when we realize we've been forgiven so much, it's not too hard for us to forgive others. But when we don't realize we've been forgiven much, it's really easy to hold a hard line against others. And I think we've all been there. I think there are times that we... We don't want to extend that love, that mercy, that compassion, that kindness, that humility, that gentleness, that patience, that forgiveness, because we forget how much we've been forgiven. I, I just want you to close your eyes for a second. At one time in our lives, sin ruled our lives. We couldn't do what we wanted to do. We did what we didn't want to do, just like the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 7. And God loved us 
and gave his son to forgive all our sins. And we, at one point in our lives, came to that place where we recognized the price had been paid and we repented of our sins. We received Christ as our Lord. And God didn't come to condemn us. He came to set us free. And he's still setting us free. There are areas in our lives we get tripped up again in. And God isn't angry. God isn't an ogre. God is looking for us to, to recognize our need for his help. And when we begin to get a big picture, not in a demeaning way or, or a detrimental or damaging way, we realize, man, we're all sinners saved by grace. And, and sin can get a hold of us and yet God is right there to free us. And, and he's always willing to help us. And when we realize how not only initially he forgave all our sins, but he still continues to give us a freedom and a release as we come to him and confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he does this freely. And so when we realize he has been so generous, so merciful, so kind, so compassionate, so gentle, so patient, so forgiving, we're going to love him more than ever before because we realize how greatly he has loved us. And then we can, in turn will turn to others and realize we freely receive this love. And begin to act that way, extend that to those around us. And Father, I just pray right now that you would help us, not in a way that's damaging, that there would be condemnation, but there would be conviction in our lives, an awareness of wrong with an expectation of change for good, because you're there and you care. Father, help us always be aware when we look at another person how freely and fully you've forgiven us. Help us love you by loving them on your behalf. Lord, make this, seal this to our hearts. Make this a principle and a priority in our lives that we would not walk the way we used to, but we would now walk in a new and living way. And I, I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. So... These are two incidences that we've looked at, and it's, it's, these are life-transforming moments in time. And that's what God has for all of us, for us to be transformed and for us to help other people be transformed. But it only happens through him. And today we're going we're gonna to look at, uh, before we go there, we're going to go to John chapter 8, but before we go there, Jesus said this, or I'm sorry, the Apostle John said this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. All of us have sin. And we're not always aware of it, just like the plank and the splinter. But we need to be aware that God is there to deliver us and free us from this. And, and with that in mind, uh, we go to John chapter 8, another situation where Jesus is going to show us what it means to walk in love towards people that are really against us and towards people that are, are in great need. In John chapter 8, verse 1, it says, 
But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. This was a common thing that he did. He would go out early and pray. And it says, now early in the morning he came again into the temple and the people, all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. So he comes into the temple and there are people that come and they're, they're listening to Jesus. This was a regular occurrence. And it says, then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Okay? This is early in the morning. Does anybody see any challenges with this? Uh, we should. But they bring this woman who's caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. And so we have this setting. Jesus is teaching. He's been out praying. He comes in. He sits down. He starts teaching people. And the Pharisees and the scribes bring this woman caught in adultery. Now, I, I read a lot because I, I want to be informed. And so I've read a number of different people that have a whole lot more knowledge than I do. But there are, there are some scholars that believe that this was a setup for this woman, that the scribes and the Pharisees were trying to get something on Jesus, and we'll see that's true. Uh, but what they did was they had a man commit adultery or fornication, whether he was married or not, with this woman who was married. Now, understand that if two people are involved in this, is it one person or two people that are sinning? Two people, right. And so it goes on to say in verse 5, it says, Now Moses in the law commanded us, such should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the ground with his finger as, as though he did not hear. So they bring this woman. Then they refer to the law of Moses, and it was true. You know, the law said that, that people found in this kind of sin were supposed to be stoned. But in Deuteronomy chapter 22... Verse 22, it says, if a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband. So that would be adultery, right? Adultery is someone who is married being involved physically with somebody else. All right? Now, our society today says there's nothing wrong with that. Do you know that there are websites that, that are just specifically for that? Married people who want to have an affair? There are. It says, both of them shall die. A man that lays with a woman, and the woman so shall be put away from the evil in Israel. And you say, well, that's, that's the Old Testament. Yeah, that is the Old Testament. But that's what they were referring to. They weren't even referring to the things right. They had brought one person. That was not right. But they were setting, setting Jesus up, and they probably set this woman up. And, you know, we, we've got to be aware. We've got to be aware of, of what and how God has for us to deal with people. They're looking for Jesus to stone them right there. Stone her. And God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And then they say, you know, they're, they're talking to him and 
asking him what he's going to do. And, and Jesus' response is almost as if he didn't hear him. But you know he heard him. And he stops and he stoops down and he starts to write in the, the dirt. Now, nobody knows what he wrote except him and the people that were there. But there are a variety of ideas of what was written. One of them, which I, I can see happening, is he, he stooped down and he started to write in the dirt and he started to write some of the Ten Commandments because they're referring to the law. And one of them is, thou shalt not commit adultery. All right? Referring to this, and he's writing in the ground, writing in the ground, and they're talking, and they keep talking, and they don't, they don't really acknowledge the fact that he's not listening. He continues to write. And if the, the scholars that I've, I've read, now some think it was names, some think it was other things, but it makes a lot of sense to me since they're referring to the law, that he begins to write the laws. But how, how, did, how did Moses receive the law? Anybody remember? He went up on a mountain to be with God, right? And, and God gave him the Ten Commandments. But how did God give him the Ten Commandments? What was it on? Stone. Tablets of stone. How did, how did it get on the tablets of stone when, G, when, when Moses brought it down to the people? Anybody remember? It says God wrote with his finger. The law was given by God writing with his finger. And the law was given to show man that you can't keep the law. All of us are going to break these laws. Except when we have the grace of God at work in our lives. When we're freed from, from sin and death. And so Jesus now, God, is writing in the ground some things it goes on in verse 7 to say this so when they continued asking him he raised himself up and said to them he who is without sin among you let him throw the first stone so they're they're badgering him they're continuing to talk to him about what's going on with this woman how do you how do you judge this woman how do you how, how are you going to deal with this woman the law says this what are you going to do and he's just writing away. And they're continuing to badger him about it. And he's still down on, on the ground. He doesn't even stand up. And he mentions this. He who is without sin, let him throw the first stone at her. What do you think happened in that group? There's not a wrong answer, whatever you think you think. I, I, I personally believe that there was an initial, what? We're talking about her. Why are you talking to me? She's the issue. Why are we looking at me? Because the issue, she had done wrong. But the issue was really with them. Because they weren't coming to have justice served. They weren't coming supporting, you know, God's law. They were coming to condemn, to cause somebody to pay a price, thinking 
Well, she needs to pay a price, but didn't want the price being paid by them for what was going on in their lives. Remember, the speck that we see in somebody else's eye, we're dealing with a beam in our own eye. And so he says this. They don't really do much, and, and I'm sure every eye was on Jesus. Looking ahead at him, he's down on the ground, he's writing. They're continuing to badger him, and he says, he is without sin, let him cast the first stone in her. What? And those who heard it, oh, then he stooped down and wrote on the ground. I guess he did stand up. He stooped down and wrote on the ground. So now what is he writing? Again, the scholars that I've, I've read from said, those that believe he wrote the Ten Commandments, he started to write names right next to the different commandments. The names of the Pharisees and, and the scribes that were there. Would Jesus have known that? Yeah, he knew it all. He, he answered the Pharisee who said to himself, if this man knew the kind of woman that was touching him, he'd never let her touch him. God... Jesus is God. He knew who they were. He knew what was going on in their lives. The Spirit of God was operating in his life. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. And whatever he wrote after he said what he said, all of a sudden what he said had impact on them. And the only way that would happen is if it became personal. Because we can sit and hear all sorts of things. And if, if we don't realize that some of this stuff is going on in our lives, we just, it just goes over our head. It goes all around us. It has no impact. That's why people can sit in the same service and some people will be transformed and others won't. Because every time God's people get together, God's there. Whenever there is ministry going on, it's not just for one. God can minister to everyone at the same time and in different ways. Because in this moment, God was really reaching out to these scribes and Pharisees. But God was also reaching out to this, this woman. Can you imagine what it was like for her? She's caught in the act. So they pulled her out of bed being with a man, probably has a sheet on. If that. Very embarrassing. Very demeaning. Very damaging and difficult. And yet God, listen, God cares about this woman. Jesus cares about this woman. But you know who else he cares for? The Pharisees and the scribes. See, it's real easy for us to write off the Pharisees and the scribes and say, these guys are a bunch of jerks. But how many times have we been jerks? That's a hard one to admit, isn't it? But, but we have. We, we've, we've done things that we shouldn't do the way God would have us do it. And that's not to condemn us. It's to help us realize there's another way. There's a better way. There's a, a new and living way to walk in. This way of love. And it says, then those who heard it, 
Now they heard him say that, but he stooped down again and wrote in the ground. And between what he said and what he wrote, something pierced them. Being convicted by their conscience, they went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. So those who heard it were convicted. Now we read, we're not to judge, so we'll not be judged. We're not to condemn, so we'll not be condemned. But in this moment, what's happened because of what Jesus did, what he said and what he did, conviction came. And I want you to know, conviction is what God wants to come to all of our lives and what we need to have come to our lives. You know, people say, well, you can't judge me. Somebody can do anything they want to do. You can't stop them. But we're not supposed to judge in a way that is critical and condemning. But we're supposed to be aware of our brothers and sisters. If we see them in sin and we have a relationship with them, we go to them in the spirit of meekness, of humility, of love, to restore them. Whenever we see somebody that is in a situation, we're looking and we're going to be a vessel of restoration, not of rejection. Because many times people go to other people with issues looking to push. God's always love, and he's looking to draw people out of what they're, they're being trapped by into the life and the life that he is. And so they heard it. They were convicted by their conscience. Now, where does that occur? Up here? Because there's a lot of stuff that happens up here, isn't there? This is something that happens right here. When something pierces your heart, you take notice. It's not easily shaken. To convict means to convince of a sin or a fault, to impress with a sense of, a sense of true guilt. This may have been the first time in their, their lives that they realized that they were really guilty of some of these things. Because remember, the speck in the plank, the, the plank, the log in our eye, we're unaware of. We need outside help, something beyond us, and not just God. God is the one that always helps, but he, God works through people. And this is where, for us to be connected, to be united, it's not just to celebrate the victories. It's to support during the battles. None of us can do this alone. And we're happy to celebrate victories. We, we want to celebrate and we don't want everybody celebrating with us in the victories. But we want to isolate ourselves in the battles. Because we don't want anybody to look down on us. But as Christians, we should never look down on another person. We should with the characteristics of love. Mercy, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, interact with each other. That's a totally different interaction. It's a totally different situation when we have somebody coming to us 
that we know loves God, loves us, wants the best for us, and is not coming to be critical, but coming to be supportive, to bring freedom. And it's so counterintuitive to us because we've had to live so many years of our life trying to hide this stuff. Or maybe you haven't. I lived a large part of my life being very concerned of what would happen if everybody knew. Somebody once said, I, I remember in a, a message, they said, if there was a, a billboard or a TV monitor above you that listed every one of your sins, how, how would you react? Because there's nothing hidden from God. But look what Jesus did. These guys came throwing this woman in the middle, addressing Jesus and all the people that were sitting there. They hear this. This is exposed to everybody. Is that love? Love covers a multitude of sin. That wasn't love. And yet, how does Jesus deal with these guys who just did that to somebody else? Does he shout out? He had, another, he had other options. He could have said, hey, Joshua, what about the sin of greed? What about this? What about that? And mention their names so everybody knew their sin. But he didn't. He stooped down and wrote in the ground where the ones who it applied to would know but not everybody else in the group. Was he being kind and gentle? Absolutely. But he didn't have to be, but he was. And Jesus was left, left alone with the woman standing in the midst. We go on and we see what happens. So when they, go ahead. When Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those who accuse you or are accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? That was what was happening in that moment. Somebody was being condemned. Another aspect of, of that word condemned uh, is that it means to declare incurable or a lost cause. Is anybody a lost cause to God? I'm so grateful because I would have given up on me. I think we all have experienced people giving up on us. Or, but God never gives up. The Bible says love never, never fails. And to be an accuser, one of the definitions of the enemy, the devil, is the accuser of the brethren. When we begin to accuse and, and pass sentence on people and make judgments that end up in, in negative perspectives, we're not walking in love. Love sees what's going on, but love believes the best. Always believes the best. 
And so he says to her, she says, no, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. She's guilty, but he doesn't condemn her. He interacts with her mercifully, kindly, humbly, gently, because Jesus, as the Son of God, he has no sin. He could have come down hard on her, couldn't he? He's the only one that can say, you know what, you need to clean up your act, and I know you do because I'm perfect. But he doesn't ever come off that way. He humbly addresses this woman, cares for this woman. He humbly addresses the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There's nobody in this whole scenario that Jesus hasn't been loving towards, where it would have been real easy to be very hard line with the Pharisees and the, and the scribes. And yet he wasn't. And he wasn't, wasn't hard line with this woman. Did she do something wrong? Yes. But he addresses it and he says, I don't condemn you. And then he speaks the truth in love. Go and sin no more. You know, we can't just be compassionate and merciful and not deal with truth. And kind and gentle and humble. We still have to deal with truth. If it's sin, it's sin. We can't gloss over that, but we don't use that as a club to beat people. And maybe, maybe you don't need to hear this. But I can tell you I have needed this in my life because there were times I wasn't as compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient merciful and forgiving. And that was because I was unaware or I wasn't honest with myself of what I had been forgiven of and how God and others had been very, very loving towards me in the midst of it. And you might say, well, I, I, I don't know. Would, should I be at a church where somebody's been this? We've all been. No matter where you go, you're going to find people like this because that's who we were. But it's not who we're becoming because of God. We're, we're to show love. We're to lead with love. We're to remember, just like Jesus said, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Well, obviously no stones would be thrown except for Jesus. And he wasn't throwing stones. Because love doesn't throw stones. Love opens up opportunities for people to be set free. I'm going to close with this, and it's 1 Corinthians, and it's not going to be up on the screens. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7 and 8. I, I really want to encourage you to, at some time this week, just read those, those scriptures um, in different translations. Love always believes the best. It's always hope-filled. God always believes the best of us. He's expecting the best. He's believing the best. And then in verse 8, it says, love never fails. He'll never give up. Never give up on you. Never give up on me. And if that's the love of God that never gives up on somebody, no matter how far away they've gone, just like the prodigal son's father, we... we, we 
read that and studied that and saw how love was expressed to that son that came home. The father was always looking because of love. He was expecting something good with no evidence that it would ever turn out good. But he held that in his heart because he loved. He loved his son who had done him wrong. He had already forgiven him. That's why when the son showed up and he saw him a great distance off, he ran to him and he hugged him and he restored him. We're here. We have the ministry of reconciliation to connect, make friends again. Connect people back to God who are disconnected because of sin. God never leaves, but we, we hinder our fellowship with God. Not our relationship, our fellowship hinders our, our, our sin hinders our fellowship with God. The, the scripture says, your sin has hid God's face from you. And man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If his face is hidden, we're not getting the word that we need. But that's where we need to be vessels of love, instruments of truth, of compassion, of kindness, of humility, of gentleness, of patience, of forgiveness. Always extending that because it's been extended massively and graciously to us. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm looking around this morning and everybody here, I think I can say without a doubt, I, I know and and I believe each one of you has turned your life over to Christ. And, and that is the biggest change you'll ever begin to experience in your life. But when we do that, it says we become this new creation in Christ. Old things are passed away, all things become new. And they are. The power of sin has been broken. We are not driven by sin, but when we sin, we choose to. And when we sin, it doesn't just affect us. It affects all those around us that we're involved with. And we need help because we're not always aware. Or we're not always honest with ourselves. And when somebody comes to us, having been in that situation, one of the greatest things you can do is the things that you've been tripped up by and damaged by. And God has restored you and redeemed that, you can come alongside somebody else and say, look, I want to help. God loves you. I love you. I want to help. I care. I'm here. And I want to help you get through this. Now, is it, is it quick and easy? No. It's usually, uh, it takes time. It's a process. And it's messy. But that's what our lives are. And we had somebody walk through the messes with us. And we need to walk through the messes with others. Not supporting them in what the mess is, but in how to walk free of that mess. share with you the scriptures that says that we've all sinned. Father, I pray right now that we would be aware 
not in a condemning way, but in a convicting way. When we're condemned, we have no hope. When we're convicted, we're aware of the reality that change has to happen. And we know that you're there and you care. And, and you're aware and you will assist us in walking in the freedom. We sang about it this morning, Father. But there's a freedom you have for us to walk in that is ever-increasing. And Father, it's not a path we walk alone. It's a path we walk with others in. So help us. Help us to be lovingly encouraging, sharing truth, being merciful and compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient and forgiving with others. And help us to be humble enough to receive the help that you have for us through others around us. Father, I can't imagine what it's like when you look down on the church. Lord, when you look at your bride and you see the divisions and you see the fear that's there of, of sharing what our struggles are with our brothers and sisters. We're stepping up to a brother and sister in in meekness and humility, looking to restore them, but sharing the truth and love and having the reaction that is not what you would have. Father, help us truly be flooded with your love so that we do walk in the characteristics. We do restore. We, we do reconcile. We see you redeem these things in our lives and through our lives, helping others in their walk in their lives. Father, help remove the fear of letting other people in and give us the wisdom in who to be willing to let in. But Father, we all need people in our lives that know us, the good, the bad, the ugly, the glorious, the victorious, the trips and the falls. Father, I pray for every one of us here today that, Father, there would be a, a new aspect to our lives, that we would not be casting stones at people that have been tripped up by sin, but we would look to lift up to reconcile and restore them. We thank you, Father, for the good work that you've begun in our lives. That you are faithful to complete because you're at work in us to will and to do your good pleasure. Lord, help us. Help us to walk in love towards all the people around us so that they would see you, Jesus, lifted up and be drawn to you. We thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name.